Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this fellowship here today, Lord. We thank you for this offering. And we ask you to take it and use it for the building of your kingdom, Lord. And thank you that you are building your kingdom here in Moody's Burn. We just thank you for that, God. Thank you that you have entered the lives of the believers here. Your kingdom has come. And thank you, Lord God, that New Beginnings Fellowship is here. And that your kingdom has come. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak today to us. We know of our frailties. We know of our weaknesses. But we can say... We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And Lord God, I just pray today, as I come to share your word, Lord God, I just pray for that strength in Jesus' name. Your Holy Spirit's power, Lord, not of me, but of you, Lord God. Thank you for your word that you have for us today. We pray there may be power in it by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would speak to us, myself, all of us here today, that we may move onward in the Holy Spirit's power. That, God, we may experience the fullness of the victory that you have already won for us. Lord, I just pray for clarity of thought and just for open hearts and minds for for us today, Lord God, as we come to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I'd like to continue our series we started in Joshua, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. If you'd like to turn to it, it would be good to, to do that today. If you need a Bible, there's some there. Just put your hand up. And the series uh, is called Crossing Over. Crossing Over. The author of the book is Joshua. And the original audience of the book is the people of Israel. The setting of the writing is in the, the verge of the promised land called Canaan. Which is the same area as modern day Israel. And this book of Joshua in the Old Testament outlines the history of Israel entering into the promised land that they'd been promised by God. It was a land flowing with milk and honey and many good things. Two weeks ago we looked a little bit at the background to this story and the message was called Giants in the Land. And we look back just to Israel's disobedience to God the first time when he had asked them to enter into the promised land. They were intimidated by giants. And out of fear and out of disobedience to God, they didn't go into the promised land. They just didn't trust God enough to see them safely cross over the River Jordan into the promised land. And there was only two who had the faith to believe. Only Joshua and Caleb, younger men, who had been sent in, one of the two of the twelve spies. Only the two of them trusted God would lead them into the promised land they said this they said the Lord is with us do not be afraid of them see they trusted God and they knew he was greater than any giant that was in the land but the people of Israel didn't listen to what they said and this resulted in the people of Israel being sent back out into the wilderness for 40 long years Moses was God's servant who was leading the people had led them initially out of Egypt and towards the promised land and now was leading them in the wilderness sadly for another 40 years but then now we see Joshua who was Moses' assistant over those years had been called to take over from Moses and lead God's people into the promised land and we saw that two weeks ago in Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 to 10 and there was a specific command of the Lord to Joshua saying as I was with Moses verse 5 so I will be with you 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. So Joshua, we saw in the last message, was to get ready. Get ready to lead. To be strong and very courageous. And to be careful to obey the instructions God had laid before them. Today's message, part two, is called Get Ready to Overcome the Enemy. Here is a a picture of the River Jordan. This was the barrier between where the people were and the promised land. Now let's turn to Joshua chapter 1 verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross over the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land your God is giving you for your own. So we see first there, do you see it? It's an action word. He says, go through the camp. And actually it's interesting because it's the same verb used to go through the camp as is used to cross over the Jordan. It's actually the same word. And Joshua is saying, we need to go through the camp. We need to take action. We need to get ready. And he says, tell the people, get your supplies ready. So this is surely a call to action. The people are to actively prepare themselves before moving out into the battle. And today as Christians, we are called to action, aren't we? We heard about it there in Save the Children. There are many, many needs, both spiritual and practical in the world today. And we are a people who are called to action. Jesus called all believers to go into the world And make disciples of all nations. To help the hurting. To bring hope and encouragement. To show the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ in practical and spiritual ways. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the call to us today, isn't it? This is the the call to us today. To act in practical ways. So Joshua, in the context here in Israel, are told to to get ready to cross over to the Jordan, to go through the camp. Second thing to notice there is that they have to get their supplies ready. They have to get their supplies ready. What would that mean? Well, they had to prepare themselves before the journey. This wasn't something you would do if you weren't prepared for it. This second crossing wasn't to be rushed. It wasn't one that we're we're kind of running away from the enemy or scared about them, so we're just going to try and catch them by surprise. It was a journey that was going to be done in trust and obedience, and it was going to be a careful preparation before going across. It's almost a bit of a ceremonial act, actually, just going through this. Because they weren't fleeing away from an enemy. They were preparing to go forward and do battle for the Lord. So they're joining together. Together they're getting ready. They're taking time to get their supplies ready. Let's read chapter 1, 
verse 12. But to the Reubenites, the Gladites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that you may go back and occupy your own land which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. So Joshua is speaking particularly here to two and a half tribes of Israel of the twelve tribes. And they had specifically been promised land that was actually to the east of the Jordan where they were. And this had been promised by Moses. We read that in Numbers uh, chapter 32. So these tribes had actually already received their inheritance of land. And they had received, as as it says there, the rest in that wonderful picture. God is providing this place of rest. So they had already received that rest. Verse 15. So they didn't, practically speaking, need to cross over the Jordan with the rest of the tribes. And they actually wanted to settle in their old land, just like we would, wouldn't you? If you had the land prepared, they were tending flocks, etc. The land was good, they were already there. What they wanted to do was sell them. But Moses said to them in Numbers 32 verse 6, to the Gadites and Reubenites, Shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord has given them? And the people... uh, were being challenged there and they responded to, to Moses in Numbers 32.16. We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we're ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Verse 20, then Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourself before the Lord for battle, and if all of you will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven the enemies out before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land will be your possession before the Lord. But do what you have promised. It's important to know the background there. They had been promised that land, but they had promised to to go across and help the brothers. So Joshua was asking them now to keep the promise they had made both to Moses and to God. And actually a very important point to note here is that Joshua wanted all of Israel to be united. It's very important that they're all united and going together to conquer the land and united in their obedience to God and their worship of God. And you you could go into many applications of that, but it's very, very, very important for God's people to be united together. We're one body with one head in Christ Jesus, aren't we? And the body doesn't work against each other. The arm doesn't decide to go here while this one decides to go here. That would be kind of catastrophic, wouldn't it? That would be a wee bit kind of difficult. Um, And I think unity is a big picture here because remember, they, they practically... And may practically wise not have made much of a difference. But in God's eyes it did. Because they were to be a united people before God. They were to unitedly obey God's command. There's a spiritual element to this. And it's very, very important we're not all going in different directions. You know, that we're, we're all seeking to obey the Lord's instruction personally. But as a group, whatever he's called us to do. Okay, so then 
as well as being getting the supplies ready, as well as being united as they approach the battle, they're also called to be fully armed. Fully armed. Verse 12. You saw it there. 14b. And all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. No one really would get into a battle like this, would they? Without wearing their armour. Or unless they're really wanting to get hurt. (laughs) And as Christians... We've got to be prepared for the spiritual battle which we face. We have a very real enemy. His name is Satan. A fallen angel. And he has his own army. Praise the Lord, it's smaller, much smaller. And it's defeated. But we've got a real enemy as Christians who is out to attack us. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing in the faith, because you know that your brothers, your brothers throughout the world, are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So the application here is that we as Christians are in a spiritual battle with a real enemy. And we're called to take action. We're called to resist. That's a positive action, isn't it? You're not sitting back there. You're actually doing something about it. You're resisting the enemy. And you're standing firm in the faith. And do you know what? Even standing is an action. And we'll see that as we look at this more fully. Stand firm in the faith. So we're called to take action. The Apostle Paul uses illustrations to speak about this spiritual battle we face in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm just going to put some images on the screen. He uses the images of the armour of a soldier, a Roman soldier, in battle. This would have been very familiar to Paul because unfortunately for him he was in Roman prison under Roman guard. So this would have been a very, very familiar picture in the front of his mind. So I'll read the the passage from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. You can turn to it if you like. Um, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything... To stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith and with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will furiously make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What a wonderful picture, eh? So as we look at these items one by one, we have the belt there shown on the screen. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You know, before the Roman soldier put on any other piece of his armour, he put his belt on. The belt was around the waist to hold the rest of the armour pieces together. And it was to be worn at all times. 
at all times. As Christians, our enemy Satan that we face is, is a liar. He's the author of lies, he's the king of lies, whatever term you want to use, he's a liar. And we have to ensure as Christian believers that we are living in the truth and not living in lies. Satan will try to get believers off track by leading us down wrong paths, wrong decisions. And once we start following his lies, things in our life just start to fall to pieces. I can testify to that in one life. I can stand here and tell you, when I sin, things start to fall apart. They always have and they still do. Isn't that true? We start to believe the lies, we start to go off track. So what we're called to do is focus on the truth of God. The truth of God. And that's the word of God to us in these inspired scriptures. It's also Jesus, because he is the truth, remember? He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we're struggling to find the truth, who do we come to? We come to Jesus, because he is the truth. We come to his word, because it is the truth. And we get back on track. It's the belt of truth. Okay, then we have the breastplate of righteousness in place. This breastplate was a substantial piece of armour that covered the, the body from the neck down to the waist, protecting your vital organs, and also protected both the front and the back. And when Paul says, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, what he's talking about is that as Christian believers, we already have right standing before God. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> I hope you are too. We already, as believers in Jesus, have right standing. Our sin has been done away with. Our relationship with God is corrected. Our place in heaven is secure. God's spirit himself is living within us. You can't get much better than that. But it's also, as well as talking about our positional righteousness, right standing with God, it's also talking about our right living as well. As well, in Second Corinthians uh, Sorry, Ephesians 4, 24, it says, Put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. So we're still called as believers to live in the truth. To bring our behaviour into line with God's word. And to live in that righteousness of God. Not only positionally be right with God, but live in obedience to God as well. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as believers in Jesus, we are now right with God as a result of Jesus bearing all of our sins on the cross at Calvary. Praise the Lord. Isn't it just very encouraging to know that truth? To know that as we stand in the battle, we stand with this massive piece of armour on. And we remember it's there. The breastplate of righteousness. But sometimes we do drop our guard in the practical aspects of living and we give the enemy an opportunity to attack. The next item was sandals there. You can see them on the screen. It says, verse 15, And your feet are to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So these particular sandals that the soldiers would wear were very thick leather sandals. And this was to enable the soldiers to stand in the battle and it was also to help them to withstand the enemy's attack 
they were used to march onwards and they became more comfortable when you wore them more I love that imagery there's something I really like about that as you put it on and you put it into practice you're actually using them to march they become more comfortable more suitable with wear so as believers in Jesus we can put on the shoes of readiness and stand in the assurance that we are at peace already with God praise the Lord in Christ Jesus and that's a very very firm footing to stand upon isn't it it's very firm it's not going to move in fact nothing can move it praise the Lord and also we can march onwards to share the gospel of peace with a lost world it may sound a bit strange we're talking about sharing peace when we're using imagery about battle armour isn't it but remember this battle we're talking about is a spiritual battle it's a spiritual battle Ephesians 6.12 it says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms so we need to keep our eyes open to that be alert to the fact we're fighting this spiritual battle and we're marching onwards to share the good news of Jesus Christ here in Moody'sburn and to share that he loves everybody and to share that in Jesus Christ all of your sins can be forgiven once and for all and that they can have a right relationship with God and do you know what? that's the last thing Satan wants to happen that is absolutely the last thing Satan wants to happen today the last thing he wants to see happen is a a bunch of believers marching forward sharing the gospel of peace with the world but that's what we need to do Romans 10.13 says for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved how then can they call on the one they haven't believed in and how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard of and how can they hear without someone preaching to them someone telling them and how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news when we first come here to Moody'sburn the first message I shared with the church was from that passage how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news because God brought us to this place to share this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ with this local community and beyond. Praise the Lord for that. Next item, the shield of faith. It said there, verse 16, In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith in which you'll extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield was a very large piece of armour in front of you. About four feet by two feet made up of wood and leather. It protected you from attack from spears, arrows and fiery darts. The curve in the, in the shield there allowed each shoulder soldier <laughs> to march shoulder to shoulder. Uh, side by side. In a solid wall. So they're forming this kind of wall side by side just with the slotting in there together. And, and Paul is saying we're to use this shield of faith to defend against lies of the enemy, against the attack of the enemy, against those fiery darts. Have you ever felt those fiery darts? I have. And you know you've been attacked by the enemy. You know in in various different ways things have went wrong. It's not always the case we're blaming the, the devil for everything that happens, but we know as believers we're under attack. 
that we have to take up the shield of faith, be strong in our faith as we stand to defend ourselves against all of those lies and all of those attacks. Then we have the helmet of of salvation. The helmet of salvation. It says, take the helmet of salvation. So that would protect, this item would protect your head against enemy attacks. And the imagery used here by Paul is referring to our mind. Attacks on our mind. And as believers, we've got some specific instructions about our mind in the scripture. There are more than these. You can look them up and find them yourself. But in Romans 12, 2, for example, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern uh, of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing perfect will. And you know, the enemy will try to confuse our minds. And let me tell you something. If there's confusion in your mind, it's not of God. It's not of God. Because God doesn't confuse anyone. God is always clear in his instructions. And if you're sitting in a situation just now, I'm just not sure, tried it all, whatever, I'm not sure, I would hasten you to caution. I would, I would ask you just to consider caution there. Until you're absolutely clear, God is asking you to do something. God will not leave grey areas in, in, in matters in our lives. So we need to guard against... Our, our minds and obviously as we're reading the word of God we, we renew our mind in Christ Jesus so we have the sword of the spirit verse 17 and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so this is an attack weapon this is an attack the sword refers to the inspired word of God the Bible uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12 says for the word of God is living and active it's sharper than a double edged sword And we use the word of God in battle. We use it to attack the enemy. To declare truth to the enemy. And Jesus himself quoted the word of God when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, didn't he? And when we're tempted, we have to use the word of God. Quote the word of God back to the devil. It's an attack weapon. Praise the Lord for that. So then we're called to pray in the spirit and on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is so vital in the spiritual battle. The church corporately must make prayer its highest priority. Both individually in our lives and also together as a fellowship. Because we're calling on God to intervene in various different situations, personal and corporately. We're calling on God to defeat every single giant we face. A few weeks ago we talked about those things. Different aspects of our life. Which may be a massive issue or giant to us. We're calling on God for these things. We're seeking his strength. We're seeking his direction. And we're following his leading. And these things are done centred on prayer. Because we're fighting a spiritual battle. But remember. In all of these things we've talked about armour. And doing this and doing that. Remember we don't fight this battle in our own strength. In Colossians 2.9 it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given the fullness of Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So do you see that? These are verses that are hard to take in. But here's what it actually, here's what it's saying. It's saying that we as believers have the fullness of God living in us. We have fullness in Christ. We have Christ in us. 
Now that's a mystery. As it says in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But we need to, do we really, do we think Christ is outside of our situation? Or do we believe the truth of the matter, which is Christ is in us? I mean, my mum was talking about that earlier. Something a child can understand, but don't we so often miss the fact we're not calling on Christ to come down? We're asking him to take over. Take me over, God. Because he's in us. And the fact that he's in us means we have the fullness of Christ and all of his power available to us, in us. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not your own. And what I would ask is all, including myself today, is in practical life, do we really believe that? Day to day. I'm not just saying, do you believe it as a head truth in your mind, something you've read in the scripture, but have you applied it? And have I applied it into my heart fully? It is the truth, you see. And I believe this is one of the most important things that we need to grasp in the whole Christian life. That God himself dwells within us by his Holy Spirit. What incredible strength and power is available to us believers then as we face any battle. doesn't matter what it is. And as believers, we also receive the spiritual victory from our Lord Jesus Christ. When we believe in him, we receive Jesus as our saviour, we receive Jesus himself. And he lives in us. 1 John 4, 4 says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Praise the Lord. Do you know something? I'm really glad that I'm not going to get to heaven because of my good behaviour. Because I can't do it. And as Christians, we may try and try and try, but we can't live the Christian life in our own strength. And don't be discouraged if you've failed God, because I failed him and I still fail him. We quote this verse to the devil. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. We are saved through Jesus Christ and his victory that is applied to us. We are saved because of what he has overcome. And we can live this Christian life, not through our own ability, our own strength, our own goodness. But through the power of Christ Jesus, by his spirit living in us. So we, we receive his power and his authority over the enemy. And remember that Jesus has already overcome the enemy once and for all on the cross. Colossians 2.13 says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ for he forgave all of your sins. All of your sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Praise God. And just thinking about Satan and his tactics in my own life and all of our lives. He's going about like that roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Would you know what? He can roar, he can make noise, and he can cause a lot of disruption in the life of a believer. But he has no spiritual authority. He has no authority over us at all. 
and he has been disarmed. Do you know what? We fight an enemy that's already been disarmed. And one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that he is armed and bigger than us. But he's not. He's disarmed. And you know what? Even if the, the enemy tells you you've lost your salvation, you've been taken out of God's hand, you know what? That's a lie. No one can ever take you out of God's hand. Ever. doesn't matter what you do. If you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you've genuinely accepted him as your saviour, you've genuinely turned from your sins, once and for all, you're in the hand of God and no one can take you out. Don't ever believe the thought that comes into your mind from the enemy that says you're out of God's hand. This doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy, because they're certainly not. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome. Not that it's going to be easy. Not that it's going to be an easy journey. It wasn't for his disciples. It hasn't been ever an easy journey for the church of Jesus Christ. And if the church of Jesus Christ isn't under suffering and persecution, then it's probably not the church of Jesus Christ. So we don't turn around and say, because there are problems or issues in our life or difficulties, that God's not, we're not where God wants us to be. Because he says in this world, you will have trouble. But he says this, take heart, I have overcome the world. And remember that I, that great I am, is in you and can take you through suffering, can take you through pain, can take you through trials and sorrows. So the enemy can seek to attack and confuse and disturb us and tempt us to sin. And we still do sin and disobey God at times but we can stand in the fullness of Christ who lives in us Jesus said I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart because I have overcome the world so we stand then we've heard about the armour we stand we put the full armour of God on we believe it and we believe this that he has already overcome the enemy praise God and that means that we can too so what kind of things today in our own lives do we need to overcome? Maybe there's things running through your heart and over your mind that just seem massive. They're just a giant and they are big. But God's saying we can overcome these things. We can get through these things through his strength. And what is God calling, to, calling us to do? It may be a difficult thing. maybe a difficult choice that we don't want to do. What is he calling us to do? And as a group, what is he calling us to do? So just as Joshua had said to the people there, get your supplies ready and ask them to be prepared for the battle they were going to face, so too we are called to get ready for the spiritual battle we face day by day. But we face the battle knowing that Jesus has already won the victory for us. Can we just say that statement out loud? All of us. Jesus has already won the victory for us. Let's say it one more time. Jesus has already won the victory for us. And our responsibility then is to believe that truth and to stand ready for battle. And the people answered Joshua and his command back there, verse 16. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Only may the Lord be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your commands, wherever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So you see then, again, that the people here were united together, weren't they? Remember the armour of God, they're standing together side by side with shields locked in battle. But also there's an important point here. 
they were they had to recognize that God was speaking to them through Joshua. They recognized very clearly that Joshua had been called by God to lead them as a people. And they were willing to be united together and to be obedient to the command God was giving them to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land God had prepared for them. And Joshua individually had been called to lead those people, but he'd only been called to lead under God's authority. It was under God's authority. And the people realised that. It was very clear to the people in that context. So they knew that in submitting to Joshua to lead them, they were actually submitting to God's authority. And remember, Moses was God's chosen leader before Joshua. And notice the, the statement they made in verse 17. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. You see, an army only functions effectively if the soldiers are in submission to a higher authority. Could you imagine an army who didn't obey the instructions of their commanding officer? And they went in loads of different directions. And they all had a separate plan sheet. Here's my plan and here's your plan. I would suggest that that would be a pretty unsuccessful operation. So the Israelites recognised here that Joshua's authority is only going to be real authority because Joshua himself is submitting to God's authority. And everybody in the people there, they wanted to submit to God's authority and to obey God fully. And we can see from Joshua's personal life that he too had learned actually to submit to God's authority in his own personal life. And remember, we, we have God's personal charge to Joshua in one seven: Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. So if Joshua was going to be personally successful in this battle, he had to submit to God's authority, firstly. And in doing that, he would be obeying God's law and his instructions. And as Christian believers today, there is no point in learning how we can fight the battle. We can learn about it all through the scriptures. How, how are we going to do it? Ephesians 6. We can say, I'm going to wear this armour. I'm going to get all this stuff on. Focus my mind. But there's no point in all of that if we're not submitting to Jesus' higher authority in our own personal lives. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The basis of victory is submission to Jesus. <clears throat> and often pride can get in the way. You know, we think we can do it by our own strength. We think we know enough of the word of God sometimes to do things in our own strength. We try and work our way out of situations, but it's only when we come to the end of ourselves and actually realise we cannot do anything in our own strength. We submit to Jesus and we, we start to put into practice those things he's, he's asked us to do. That we experience the full victory. And as a church fellowship here, we are already positionally as believers united in Christ together. We are under the authority of God, Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, the head of the church. And we're called collectively to submit to his authority. And we're also called to a common purpose, a common focus. To love God and to love each other and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. 
called to live to in the fullness of all that God has given us in Jesus Christ. We are to be united in battle. So the instructions God gave his people in Joshua's day still apply to us today in the mission we have been given. We are to get ready so that we can overcome the enemy. To get your supplies ready, to be united in battle, be fully armed and to fight in his authority. We must fight in the authority of Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us today. I thank you, Lord God, that it's in your strength that we move onwards and forwards. We thank you, Lord God, for the victory which you have already won for each one of us on the cross. And I just pray today, Lord God, you would help us all to understand more fully all that you have put in place for us already. And we pray, Lord God, you you would enable us to stand in this battle. And Lord God, in Jesus' name, help us to put on that armour. Help us to believe in you. Help us to know that he is in, who is in us is greater than he is in the world. Is greater than anything we face. And forgive us God for those times we disobey you. Just like the people disobeyed you there in those days. Forgive us Lord for that. We just bring before you things that we know you've told us. And we ask you Lord to help us bring them under your authority. In Jesus name. That we would obey your instructions. And Lord, we do pray, I just pray for every situation we would all face here today as a fellowship. We pray for protection of the blood of Jesus over every circumstance, Lord. We thank you for safety in Jesus Christ. We just pray for clarity of thinking. In Jesus' name, you would show us each the way to walk in, Lord, individually and as a fellowship. And we ask you to forgive us for our rebellion against you, Lord. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for dealing with our sins once and forever. And just help us, Lord, to enter more into this fullness. We know there's more, God, and we ask you for more of an understanding of what it means to say Jesus Christ in all of his fullness lives within me. And Lord, I thank you for the hope that is to us individually, for more in this life of you. And also for this local community, God. And we just pray as folks walk in and out of the coffee shop this week, as folks walk in and out of our own lives, that they would be touched by the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. They would come to know that you are a wonderful saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.